Hi, welcome to Exploring the Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and today's topic is History's Top Scientist, Jonathan M.S. Pierce Refutes Free Will, Part 4.4. And this is basically a presentation of a, a speech that Jonathan Pierce gave to the um, um, South Hampshire, England Humanist Society. Okay, um, Pierce is from England. He wrote a book in 2010 titled Free Will, An Investigation into Whether We Have Free Will or Whether I Was Always Going to Write the Book. And the book is brilliant. Okay, it's, a, it's the, the most brilliant refutation of free will that I've ever read. There aren't all that many, actually. Um, the, the most popular just came out in March, March 2012, by um, three-time best-selling, um, New York Times bestseller Sam Harris. Okay, but, you know, while, this, while that book is good, and I, I wrote a book, I wrote this book on it, which is basically the um, first 18 episodes of the show. I transcribed them and, um, you know, made them into a book. But Pierce's book, Pierce's book just blows our two out of the water. It, it's brilliant. It goes into, like, the scientific, the theologic... Um, all the logical explanations of why free will is impossible, and it also goes into the importance. And you know, his 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 work is already having an effect in the media. Um, his again, it was it was published in November 2010. Okay, so in April 2011, the the world's first cover story of a magazine came out. It was by New Scientist, the British uh, Science Weekly. Um, I think it was called. Um, Who's in control? How? Uh, not a free will, the illusion we can't live without. Okay, and then, and then um, that was like in April 2011. Then um, this this current this current um, uh, May June issue of Scientific American Mind has as its cover who's in control, how physics and biology dictate your quote unquote free will. Okay, and so basically, because of Pierce's work, partly because of this show and Sam Harris's book, of course, this book is now in the mainstream. But but again, Pierce so just devastatingly um, addresses the the arguments for free will, and in, in, in a style that's like really humble. I mean, the guy's like he's a real scientist. That um, you know, I, I would highly recommend it. Okay, now, so why do I assert that Pierce is um, the top scientist of all time? Okay. Um, there's a, um, there's a quote by this eminent philosopher, his name is John Searle, who incidentally doesn't believe, he believes that we have a free will, which is, you know, it's quite kind of telling. But when he was asked by fellow philosopher Susan Blackmore on the prospects of free will being an illusion to comment on that, his response was that um, that would be a bigger revolution in our thinking than Einstein or Copernicus or Newton or Galileo or Darwin. Okay, then he goes on to say, I, it would alter our whole conception of our relation with the universe. Okay, so now the thing is like, you know, Searle's quote, he's referring <coughs> to the person, you know, not to the revolution per se, not to the thing so much, but to the person who's, who's responsible for um, bringing this truth to the public. Because like, this isn't a, a truth that just like all of a sudden we came to know. Um, I want to just... Um, do another quote by a British physicist, astronomer, and mathematician, Sir James Jeans. He wrote in his 1943 book, Physics and Philosophy, 
practically all modern philosophers of the first rank, Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, Locke, Hume, Kant, Hegel, Mill, Alexander, as well as many others, have been determinists in the sense of admitting the cogency of the arguments for determinism. So they got it. They got it back then that free will must be an illusion. However, some of them couldn't bring themselves to, under, to, um, to accept this. You know, for example, Hume, Hume would, would say, well, you know... Um, well, I don't know. They they gave a different different for whatever reason. And the other thing is they they couldn't succeed at convincing um, people that um, that free will is an illusion. So Pierce's work to anyone who reads it, it's so convincing, it's so compelling, it's so w- well written. Um, so you know, again, you've got like Einstein with the physics of Darwin with the evolution, Copernicus with the astronomy. These are like great achievements, but they don't compare you know, in importance to our world for humanity to overcome this highly destructive um, illusion of free will. You have to realize, to the extent that we don't believe that we have a free will, we don't have any logical reason to blame ourselves or anyone for anything. And when you understand the state of the world, you know, the different wars, the the class conflicts and all, the the conflicts in our personal lives, when you understand the harm that blame does and this, like, attitude of vindictiveness, vindictiveness does, you know, to our world, then you'll understand the, um, the world-changing benefit of, of our overcoming this illusion. All right, let me, uh, let me get on with um, in, um, presenting Pierce's video, and then once it's done, I'll just basically review his, um, his basic points. So let, let's go with the clip now. Thanks. Should we give praise to people who win the natural logic? What this is, when I said this, Ian Thorpe, have you heard of Ian Thorpe, the swimmer? He's an Australian Olympic swimmer. He's won medals in the last, I think, three Olympics. He's got size 16 feet or something. The guy is a good swimmer. He's a great swimmer and he's tried really hard. He's won lots of medals. But the fact is, he's going to be a good swimmer because he's got massive paddles on the end of his legs. Should we give him praise for that? There's a philosopher, John Rawls, that said, talks about the natural lottery. People that are really intelligent, people that are genius mathematicians, should be praising for being genius mathematicians. That's just, they're just fulfilling who they are. This is really interesting. Do we praise and give merit to people that are just being who they are? Do we do the opposite, you know, not give praise and, and do we blame people? for just being who they are. How does that work in our crime systems? Because at the end of the day, they're reacting to their cause or circumstance. So punishment, when you punish someone, in the old days, you punish people for retribution. You did that, ah, I will punish you. Actually, that makes sense in determinism, because they're just fulfilling who they are. We need to change who they are in order to make them someone who society thinks is better or less likely to commit such crimes. So punishment for retribution becomes pointless, and it becomes for consequences, consequentialism. You punish someone so they don't do it again, and so other people that see this whole situation don't do it again either. And in, in, in a way, we have a better society. So it's better to ask why. Why does someone do something? And then change that course or circumstance. So our society is all about, determinism is all about understanding why things happen. It's not giving people a, 
that, you know, a free pass to do what they want and say, oh, it was my genes, or oh, it was my upbringing. No, that's not what determinism says. It, it says nothing about how we should act. You know, determinism is just a, a philosophy. But how do we use it? We've got to understand our world, how it works, and how people work better. And then we can change them and our world to make it a better place. So it's not fatalistic, it shouldn't be sort of depressing. But on the same level, we should follow the evidence. We shouldn't just have a conclusion, I want free will to exist, there's my conclusion, I'm going to look for evidence to support that, blah. We should, what's the evidence? What's the evidence? Here's the evidence, here's the evidence. Build up the evidence, where does it lead us? This is where it leads us. And that's the same, I think, with any philosophy and any science and anything in life, you know, religion particularly. Start with the conclusion, look for the evidence, massage it in. No. Get the evidence, build it up, where does it take you? And for me, the evidence has pointed to determinism. And what I find really interesting, because I debate God all the time online, I blog, I write, I, a lot of my friends that are committed to Christians and we debate, we debate down the Free will argument is so fundamental and so well supported that literally, if you're going to debate any religion with anyone, you just say, free will, prove to me free will exists. If they can't, then a judgmental God is utterly, utterly meaningless. So in fact, when you're talking about free will and God, without free will, there can be no judgmental God. It's God. You can't say you're going to hell forever for doing that, and you say, but hang on, I did that because of my genes and my environment, and I had no control over that. And you designed it, and you designed everything that made me who I am. Yeah, but, but you did it, so you're going to help. It doesn't make sense. So if there's no, if there's no free will, there's no judgment of God, unless you're a Calvinist who believes that everything is determined anyway. So it's very interesting when you use a free will argument in a sort of religious context as well. But um, that's, that's free will in a nutshell. Super quick, loads more, I can triple the amount of blah, and I'll probably bore you senseless. So um, thank you for listening, and if you have any questions at all, I'd be more than happy to answer them.
some people call it self-determinism, being the author of your own um, future, and they kind of uh, embody a kind of free will into that. And it, you just depends who you read, really, and there's lots of different kinds of compatibilism. I, I, I read um, Freedom Evolves, and it was quite interesting. Daniel Dennett is, a, is one of the foremost com compatibilist um, philosophers, and it's an interesting book, a very interesting book, but you do get to the end of it and think, Really sure, quite what your version of free will is. Do you know what I mean? Something. You're kind of advocating free will through evolution, and you're describing how we get free will, and you talk about all these fascinating things. But really, you're not. It's a type of free will that that is not a libertarian free will. So he, they're compatible. His free will and determinism are compatible. He says you need determinism for free will, which is, is nonsensical on the normal understanding of free will. So therefore, he definitely has to have redefined it. It's just very kind of woolly how he's done it. I think that's. A, I don't know if you have you read it. Um, I bought this book about whenever it came out in Never did read the whole thing. Mm. He can be quite hard going sometimes, he is quite good. For his case. Mm. Is there another reference that, that you would recommend to, that you would read so you can get the end and think I understand that definition that we define free will? Well, if you just look at the critics of compatibilism, they would just say the same things I said, which is um, basically, you're, you know, Ted Hondrick, another philosopher, said, he basically said the whole thing I said, which is determinism is a lack of free will, and you can't have free will and lack of free will being compatible with each other. It's, they're literally, that's logically incoherent. So therefore, you know, I can't speak for all the compatibilists because there are many different strains, and I've had arguments with people online and, and said, hang on, you are still denying an alternate possibility, so therefore you don't believe in free will. But I do, and it's, it's kind of authorship and this self-determinism and you know self-determination and throwing lots of things but really really I would argue and many people do argue that they are determinists because remember they do they do believe in determinism so they do believe that all the laws of the universe are deterministic so just that alone has got to tell you that their idea of free will whatever it may be is different and you know, and I, I'm not, in, in many senses, I could be a compatibilist as well. You know, I can, I can happily redefine free will, that's no problem. But, it, but it's not your common understanding of free will, is it? You know, your common understanding is that you could have done otherwise. And they would still deny that. Yes? Um, I have a lot of sympathy, I think, with the Daniel Dennett point of view. As far as I can get, because it's not an easy book to read through. One does tend to skip certain bits. But it seems to me that what he's saying is that the human species, either like Homo sapiens sapiens, through evolution, the ability to choose has evolved, and that itself is determinist. So free will is itself a determinist. Uh, that's exactly what, what that's exactly what says. What he does is he differentiates humans with what he calls situa- well, it's actually another person called them, situation action machines. 
So he says something like a, an amoeba or even a squirrel is a situation action machine. It's in a situation, that situation is the input, the input gives an output, the action. It's a situation action machine. So all animals are, are, are basically machines, but humans, because we have the power to rationalize, to plan, to see the future, to do all this stuff, and which does differentiate us from all the other animals, and we believe we have free will, so we might as well say we've got free will. Effectively, so, so you're absolutely right. I mean, I didn't want to go fully into Daniel Dennett, but he is, is a lot about the evolution of, of humans and the differences between humans and the other species. But the situation action machine is really interesting because personally, I think he arbitrarily cuts off humans from other animals. Uh, or there's a danger of doing that, and you've got primates, and you've got like different consciousnesses going back to simpler animals, and you're kind of arbitrarily going, right, humans have free will, everyone else doesn't. Well, actually, let's look at that, and let's look at why we're different from other great apes, and different, you know, and at some point, it's a slippery slope fantasy. Uh, so, you know, where do you draw the line? And I would put all, all the species into a deterministic framework rather than just saying humans have free will, everyone else doesn't. Does that make sense? Sort of. I'm not really giving you the answer because it is really difficult to, <laughs> to, to go through someone like Daniel Dennett. So, because I do think what they're doing is what something Sarah was saying. Is, is she very bravely came up and said, I think I'm on the edge of changing my opinion on free will. Um, I might now think determinism is true, but I want to hold on to this notion of free will. And I think that's what capacitors do. I really think what they do is they, because it affects their moral philosophy. They're all philosophers, so they have a philosophy of morality. And of course, if they say, well, actually, I don't believe in free will, how does that affect their, their philosophy on morality? And how does that affect their philosophy on something else? So they end up going, right, I want free will, because it makes everything else so much simpler and fit into a much nicer framework that, that I want. So I think a lot of capitalists argue for desire. They want free will, so therefore they have free will and determinism. Because they can't argue against determinism because all the evidence seems to point to determinism. Okay, so um, Pierce, Pierce in this um, segment of the talk starts out talking about praise and blame. Um, you know, he, he mentions that praise and blame do have useful conditioning purposes. In other words, like if, you, if a young child does something good, it's good to praise the child for that, to give the, the child a sense of, 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 wow, I did this, this is excellent. And again, um, when you blame someone, or quote-unquote blame, when you, when you kind of like, let's say, quote-unquote, punish for someone for something, some, <laughs> punish someone for something they did wrong, that that has like it serves as a, deter as a de deterrent. Our whole criminal justice system, to a great extent, is based on the fact that if we didn't have these deterrents, uh, many of us would just uh, be breaking laws just more than we we do otherwise. So anyway, but his point is like, for example, like you don't you know with a brilliant mathematician, okay? If the brilliant mathematician is compelled completely to be brilliant in math, it had absolutely nothing to do with him then it doesn't really make sense to, to praise him per se. I mean, we may want to rec recognize his talent, um, give him every opportunity to express it that we can, because it serves, you know, the person and society, but it's simply wrong to, to kind of, like, praise him in, in that, you know, literal sense. And again, for, for, um, 
for punishment, for, for, for blaming criminals. A lot of times the problem when we blame criminals, when we, when we say to criminals, you know, you're evil, you're bad, um, an indicator of future behavior for all of us is our self-identity. So when we identify people as being evil, they become uh, convinced of it, and then their future behavior expresses that. So it's really in society's interest to move away from blaming people for things they do wrong to explain to them, listen, it's not your fault. We understand that, you know, you had absolutely nothing to do with this, but we have to both protect you and society from different kinds of behavior. So we have to do um, certain things for your benefit, for our... um, But basically, essentially, the, the proper explanation is that it's not a retributive, a vindictive kind of addressing of the issue. It's really a, a way of addressing things uh, from, a, from a pragmatic point of view that, you know, you, you know, our not having free will doesn't allow us just to simply do whatever we want. You know, it doesn't work that way. But to, to the extent that we understand that free will is an illusion, it will prevent us from blaming each other and then from, like, seeking revenge and all that. Okay, so like the idea behind determinism, as Pierce describes, is that better than like staying with the blame and and, and all that, you know, you ask why. Why did the person do that? And that's where the the answer is. That's where the real benefit of of exploring, you know, human behavior comes. Um, Okay, let's see what else. Um, Okay, now this, this understanding that um, <clears throat> that our human behavior is deterministic, that it's, it's a result of cause and effect, causality. You know, everything has a cause. That means all of our decisions must have causes, and the causes of, those, of our decisions must have causes. So you get this chain of cause and effect, you know, going back in time, cause by cause by cause. That's what makes free will impossible. But, you know, this doesn't have to be a fatalistic or depressing kind of uh, realization. Because for some of us who are, like, ego-driven, who like to think of themselves as good or great and stuff, then, yeah, it might be a letdown that, like, to think that the really great things we do aren't really up to us. But when we can override that, we can see that, no, we can still do great things. We can do, you know, amazing things. But the proper response is not pride or arrogance. It's more like gratitude. It's gratefulness that the universe has chosen us to, to, um, to do this, you know, to, to, to perform a certain good um, thing, whatever it is. Okay. Um, another thing that uh, Pierce points out is that people, many people who um, believe in free will, they go from the conclusion to evidence. In other words, they conclude, yes, we must have a free will because in their mind they think it's, um, you know, it's so clear. And it's really not even clear because like what we experience isn't really free will, a will free of the kind of conditions that, um, that make us who we are. What we simply experience is a will. We experience making decisions. We only infer or conclude that these decisions are free. So anyway, a lot of philosophers go from that conclusion saying like since it seems like that we have to have a free will or since like some philosophers say well you know if if there's no free will our entire the entire moral structure of the world is wrong is unfounded you know it'd be wrong to like condemn people to hell and and heaven because you know because of this so they go from that premise to then concluding well therefore free will must be and again that's like unscientific, illogical, irrational. Okay, and Pierce, I think, is, is um, very keen to point that out. 
So another thing that means is like, yeah, without free will, you know, like this whole threat of heaven and hell is, doesn't make sense. You know, like if we're completely compelled to, to do what we do, it, the, the whole structure for religions like instilling fear in people, sometimes terrific fear of going to hell, just vanishes. You know, people might want to do good so it'll serve them, them in this life or just like so it'll serve them in certain ways, but not out of a fear of like being punished for things that are not in their control. Okay, lastly, um, he goes into, I'm not going to have time to finish this up. He basically, um, he goes into like the compatibilist, in the question and answer period, the comp compatibilist uh, position on free will that doesn't make sense. Basically, compatibilists will do what's known as a straw man argument. They'll define free will in a different way, not in the way that's commonly understood, and then they'll assert, yes, we have free will. That's not scientific. That's not philosophical. It's, it's a straw man argument. Okay, um, so let's see. So now, why do compatibilists and people who believe in free will hold on to that? Well, it's not up to them. Basically, we're pleasure-seeking people, pleasure-seeking organisms. We seek pleasure, avoid pain. So in their minds, it's better for them to simply believe that they have a free will because it makes them feel better than to recognize the truth that they don't. You know, it's as simple as that. They're, in other words, you can't blame them for not understanding this. I mean, because the logic couldn't be simpler. Again, causality and randomness is all there is, and they equally f refute free will. All right, that's all we have time for. I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.